What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Lightning Lamp Podcast. I am here with Tim. Your host with kind of the most. And this episode, we're going to be talking various stuff about round two. Um, you know, again, just to put it out there, this is being recorded around six o'clock on the day of the ninth. So any information that seems outdated, that's why. Like obviously, the Islanders, Bruins have game six in about an hour and a half. So um, when we talk about that series, that information could all potentially just go right out the window. But that's just kind of the nature of doing this kind of stuff. So again, you know, just ignore any information that's not relevant anymore. But um, before we even talk about the round two series, I just kind of wanted to acknowledge something that happened recently that was... You know, pretty monumental. Uh, Taya Curry, a 16-year-old goaltender, becomes the first woman ever to be drafted in OHL history. Uh, she went to the Sarnia Sting, I think, in one of the later rounds. I think maybe like the 12th round or something along those lines. But, you know, it's definitely cool to see. It's, it's you know, it's a pretty monumental step forward in our sport uh, for something like this to happen. And... You know, I don't really think there needs to be much more said other than that a lot of people, you know, us included and everyone here on this podcast are going to be rooting for. And I hope that she has a very successful OHL career. And honestly, maybe one day she makes it to the show. Who knows? You know, I mean, it'd be crazy. Even if she just made it out of the OHL, she makes it to a higher league than there. That's crazy. Even if she gets a starting position in the OHL, it'd be crazy. Yeah, I mean, she was drafted pretty late, so I assume that she's going to either be backing or third stringing for a while on the Sting. I'm not really entirely familiar with their goaltender situation, so I honestly couldn't tell you. But I do know that, you know, she she has an uphill battle ahead of her, obviously, just not even just being the first woman in the OHL, but all the pressures and whatnot that come with that. Also, the fact that, you know, she's a little bit on the shorter side for goaltenders just in general, being 5'7", 143. Um, I think you and I looked it up the other day, and the shortest active goals in the NHL are 5'10", which I think is, or Hudobin might be like 5'10". I think he's one of the shorter ones in the show. But, you know, she has an uphill battle ahead of her, and I just hope that she realizes that there's going to be a lot more people rooting for her than against her. Because, I mean, let's not beat around the bush. Like, she's going to get a lot of hate. She's going to get a lot of ignorant comments. She's going to get a lot of pressure put on her from stupid people that are going to use her as a barometer for all of women's hockey. So, um, for what, from what I'm, a quick Google search says, the shortest goalie in the NHL is that six foot Casey DeSmith. That, that's a, that's that first currently links, in the NHL. That link's inaccurate, though. Yeah, I'm because. Not, I saw the same one when I looked it up, and I was like, there's no way. Yeah, I was a little... That I don't know why that it's the first one that comes up on Google, but it's wrong. Yeah, I'm it's... pretty sure that either Saros or Hudobin is only like 5'10", 5'11", something along those lines. Um, Saros, Hudobin, and Halak are all 5'11". Yeah. So, you know, she's a little bit undersized, but, I mean, we have seen undersized goalies perform well in the NHL before. You know, obviously... More back in the day, we had more undersized goalies along the lines of guys like Darren Pang, but... Mike Vernon was 5'9". Yeah, and I mean, Vernon had a really, really good career. 
Um, Darren Pang obviously had a fantastic career as well. So, you know, I just hope that she's ready to face the stupidity that's going to come out because there's going to be the idiots, the knuckleheads, the old heads, the stupid bro sports guys that are going to say this, that, and the other thing about her. But she has a lot more supporters than I think she's going to realize, you know, me included. And uh, I really do wish her nothing but the best. And I'm sure that, you know, I speak for pretty much everyone on the podcast. And most of our viewers, I would hope, um, would do nothing but support her going forward. So a little, little bit of hockey history being made. Pretty cool. Um, so we'll keep an eye on Taya Curry and her path to uh, potentially in the NHL one day. So, um we will move on from that and we will talk about the round two series and just so you guys know i know that awards and stuff you know finalists for awards are getting announced during the nhl playoffs but we're going to save all of that for its own episode because i don't want to piecemeal it together and say well we talked about all these awards before but now it's time for the award show i just kind of want to keep it all together so we are keeping track of you know people that are getting nominated such and such uh, but that will be at a later date so you know, let's start talk about round two, and I guess we'll, you know, we'll just start talking about the two series that are over, and we'll start with Montreal and the Winnipeg Jets. Montreal sweeping the Winnipeg Jets in four games. Montreal will end up facing the winner of Vegas and the Avalanche series. So, I mean, I guess like initial reaction to the series. You know, how did you feel watching this series? Do you think we've either underestimated the Canadians? And I guess the ultimate question is, since obviously all these games are in division, how are the Canadians going to fare when they have to play their first out-of-division opponent of the year in either one of the Vegas Golden Knights or the Colorado Avalanche? The fact that I was rooting... I've been rooting big time for both of these teams, as you know. So I'm honestly just really disappointed in how the series turned out going only four games, despite the fact that some of the games were close and the fact that, what was it, game, I have it right here, game one was 5-3, but it was a close game, game two was one nothing, and then game three was a blowout, game four was 2-3, to three. so the Jets put up a fight, but it, it didn't look really like they were doing all that much out there, they, they looked... Eh. So, maybe this gives the Montreal Canadiens the heat to keep going. Maybe this is their kindle into the fire that they need to win this. Like, win this. Maybe. Maybe they'll be able to beat the Canadian. I mean, um, the uh, Jet... The I'm sorry, Avalanche or Knights. I don't know. But the Knights look like they might win the series at this point. And I think they have a better shot against the Knights than MacDog. You know, I got to be honest with you, like, I'm man enough to admit when I was wrong and I severely underestimated the Canadians basically right from the start of the season, but I'm still not buying, I'm still not buying the team as as true (laughs) contenders beyond this round. I'm just not, because honestly, like, the Canadian division, let's be honest here, sucked. It's no secret that the division wasn't great, and... You know, me and you and, and even Steve have talked about at length that we don't really consider any of the teams from this division true contenders. So, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you here. The fact that, yeah, you beat the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is impressive to me. You sweep out the Winnipeg Jets, but I still think most of the other teams left in the playoffs are still better than Montreal Canadiens. I mean, honestly, 
because they've been in the bubble the whole time playing with only the other Canadian teams, people tend to forget that fact, and I think it's important. You know, do I think they could potentially beat the Vegas Golden Knights? I think so. I mean, they have a chance for sure. Do they have any semblance of a shot against a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning? There's not a snowball's chance in hell that they would be able to beat the, the Lightning, in my opinion. Not even close, honestly. Um, and that's not to take anything away from what they've done. The fact that they've been able to get out of the division is impressive, but this is where we really separate the teams that are pretenders from contenders, where you have to play teams that aren't in your division. And specifically that aren't in the division that was as... as weak as the north was this year um but hey i mean honestly everyone doubting them has worked really well for them so far so maybe that's just what they need is for people like me to just not believe in them you know honestly the only person on this team though that that kind of scares me is carrie price because what gets lost in this series is just how good he was because those two blowout games everyone's like oh like montreal's offense just woke up but like Carey Price is really honestly the reason that this was a four-game series, in my opinion. And I think him having a couple rough goals going on him is only the best thing for him because he's the type of player who we've seen, he, they, he gets scored on once, and the rest of the game he's lights out. And so the way that I see it, him letting in a couple of those weak ones on his glove side and over his shoulders only is going to fuel the fire in his practice and in his work to work on that. I mean, if we pull up his stats here, if the Canadian's website ever wants to load, um, you know, a 197 and a 935 through 11 games, considering the two teams he played against were more offensively geared teams, is ridiculous i mean there's no if ands or buts about it those are absolutely astronomical stats um i get the reason i just don't buy the team is just because they're just missing that real like x factor not named carry price and i think that's the issue we've seen with these montreal teams in the past you know even when they were in competitive years like in 2014 um and around those times the, the story and the tale of the tape was that Carey Price is good enough to get them almost to the finish line, but they need that one extra push. They need that, that little oomph up front. And, you know, Suzuki and Caulfield have been really good, but if you ask me if they're game breakers, I wouldn't say that they are just yet. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, the real barometer that you have to face these teams up against is... <laughs> Tampa Bay Lightning, which, I mean, almost no team stacks up against them, but I just look at the roster and I'm still seeing missing I pieces. See them cu- I could see them making the cup, though, because I think that the tough team... I, I Honestly, I even if this team played the Islanders, I could see them losing. If this team plays the Lightning, I could see them losing. If they played the Hurricanes, I could see them losing, because they're not... Those teams are not just offensively presence teams. Whereas I think... The Knights, the Knights thrive off their forecheck and their offensive pressure and just neutral zone pressure, where and the Avalanche are obviously just an offensive zone like team, like the whole team is based around their offensive zone presence, even down to the defensive core. So I think that they, I could easily see them making the run to it, 
But like you said, I don't really see them beating the Avalanche. I mean, beating the Lightning or, let's say, the Islanders if they make it, which I'm not sure if they will. Or even... They might... They could beat the Bruins. I could see them beating the Bruins. Because... I think that that Matt... I think the top line of the Bruins and the top line of... The Canadians would just come to a shootout, essentially. Like, which... which As in, which, which line's gonna be the one that scores and stuff? The Bruins. And... <laughs> but not, not, not to put anything no, but against the, the, the difference being line, the difference being it's, it's honestly not even close. No, but the difference there being... Carey Price over Rask. Rask has been really good too, though. I mean, he's been banged up, but his stats are crazy. And honestly, the goals he's letting in against the Islanders, a lot of them really aren't even his fault. I mean, I I I agree with that. Like you look at that last game, and the the Palmieri goal took a bounce off of two defensemen skates. The Barzell goal, I mean, he'd probably want that back because it's a short side goal from the circles. But you know, the other goal. Um, in uh, that game came off of just a rebound like the, you know I just don't think it would be out of the realm for them to beat the Bruins whereas I think they're clearly not beating the uh, the Lightning no no um and again I don't want to take anything away from the Canadians because honestly I would actually like to see this team win a Stanley Cup just because Carey minus Price, you Shea Weber you're a bum <laughs> besides Shea Weber I like I really like the rest of this team like Carey Price absolutely deserves this run it would be awesome to see Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield come in and make the impact that they have on this run such at such a young age. Guys like Kotkaniemi, it would be great to see. You know, again, at such a young age, making such a huge impact, but I just don't think it's going to happen. But hey, like I said, people doubting them has been their fuel so far, and if that's what it takes for them to do it, then good on them. So, you know, I do want to talk about the other side of this series, though. Um, and I think really, you know, what happened to the Jets is pretty obvious. And it's not just Shifley getting suspended, but let's not beat around the bush. That's not easy to overcome because not only is it a first-line player, it's your best player, and it's your first-line center. You know, you can overcome a winger going out way easier than you can a center. And we're even seeing it with the Avalanche struggling in that second-line center position since Kadri went and got himself suspended. So, you know, I just didn't like the way that the Jets looked, honestly. Not even just without the Shifley impact on the ice, but the passes just weren't very crisp. It kind of looked like they were out of sync, and maybe that's just because the lines had to get shuffled without Shifley. So you'll get, you know, a couple new line combos, but they just didn't look crisp. You know, there wasn't a lot of pretty plays they were making. They didn't look very clean coming out of the zone. I just didn't, they just looked for lack of a better word, discombobulated, honestly. They just looked like they were on separate pages of the book. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I guess my question at this point would be, you know, what do you do this offseason if you're the Winnipeg Jets? You know, what, what steps should you be taking to try to rectify this situation? Because you do have Connor Hellbuck under contract, but he's also just now turning 28. So now we have to start considering the possibility that if things don't get better in Winnipeg, might he start looking elsewhere? Might he start asking for a trade? Um, you know, these are things we have to start considering now because, let's be honest here, the Jets haven't made it past the second round ever. So... I don't... 
I think you need to... Where do you start? I don't even know. Do you, I, is it coaching that's the issue? Was Is that why it fell apart? Is it really the fact that Shifley was the team and Blake Wheeler was just kind of lard-ass in his way around the series? Was it... Do you have to... Well, they definitely need the depth in their decor, I think. the I think we saw the D-line really over... They got an ego, I think, from playing the Edmonton Oilers and shutting down McDavid and all that. And I think the wake-up call was the Canadians. Um, a much... I don't even know if they're necessarily deeper than the Oilers, honestly. But their depth has been playing better than the Oilers did. I mean, are you talking about defensive or offensive? Um, offensively. There's no question, I think, that the Jets are deeper than the Oilers, just on the basis of no, the No, no, I meant that, the like, Canadians are deeper than the Oilers. Oh. Eh. That's what I'm saying. Like, well, actually, no. I think the Canadians is... It's a pretty... Like... Because the Canadians are all depth, really, you know. Yeah, but I'm, I'm saying that, like, it's not like their depth is crazy or anything. It it just the depth just showed up to play on the Canadians, where it didn't show up to play on the Oilers, clearly. Because I'm kind of lost. Why are we talking about the Canadians? Because they just swept the Jets, so I'm comparing them to the oh. Oilers. Okay, I I was. Okay. I, 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 I kind of got lost. I was like, wait, why are we talking about the Oilers now? I'm okay. comparing the opponents of the of the Jets. Okay, I see. Okay, sorry. I just, like, yeah. so, my, my brain just turned off for a second. You're good. But yeah, so I think that the D-Core just ran into better offensive depth opponents. And while they were clearly able to do it in Edmonton, they couldn't shut down the top line on... The Canadians from uh, out from mismatching really, so that's why I'm wondering if it's a coaching issue. You know, honestly, going into the off season, I think the number one thing that this team needs to really consider is really going out and paying a legitimate top two defenseman. Because I like a lot of their young guys. I think Josh Morrissey's a great defenseman. You know, Neil Pionk has really really stepped up. Billy Hanela, Logan Stanley had a really good series despite the sweep. I thought Logan Stanley played fantastically. But the problem is right now this team has a lot of what I would consider like top four defensemen. Like honestly, Morrissey, DeMello. I'm going to put Neil Pianka's borderline top two. He's not really solidified there just yet. And then you have I guys think like, with a partner he's top two. With a, with a good or excellent partner he's top let's, two. Yeah, that's, you know, he's... He's not good enough to just be like a solo top two guy. You no, know, he's kind of like a Mark. How Mark Stahl was earlier in his career, where he needed that he needed that Dan Girardi or that um, later on Ryan McDonough. Yeah, but he was always still solid or excellent. Yeah, like you know, Derek Forbert, Vili Hainala, Logan Stanley, Tucker Pullman, Sammy Niku, like. None of these guys are bad, and you want to give the youth the playing time in order to develop, but. I think you need to make a hard decision on one of these players and move them out for a legitimate top two defenseman. Because let's say, for example, these guys go after Seth Jones, right? And your top line is you have Jones and Pionk. 
although they'd probably split those up because Jones is a righty. But let's just say for argument's sake, Jones plays with Josh Morrissey, right? So you got Jones, Morrissey, then you get DeMello, Pionk, and then you run with Hanela and Logan Stanley. I mean, I think that's a legitimately solid defensive core right there. You got a good mix of offensive players, good mix of shutdown defensive players. And we know that the offense is good enough. I mean, the top six is one of the best in the league. They do need to get more out of PLD. I mean, that's, you know, he didn't disappoint, but he definitely didn't live up to the hype that he bought. And Blake Wheeler needed to do more. He was, I don't want to say invisible, but I wasn't seeing much of Blake Wheeler's offensive capabilities in this series. No. And, you know, the, the the Jets have some pretty good depth. Like, I love guys like Adam Lowry and Andrew Kopp. I think they're fantastic depth pieces. But I just think getting that legitimate cornerstone top two defenseman to round out the core at that point would really just lock everyone into place and make this team a lot more formidable. Just because, you know, the unfortunate reality is while you do want to give the young guys time to develop – it's kind of starting. It's time for this team to start you competing. You need to accelerate their development with a, with someone to guide them through it. Honestly, there's the oldest guy on this team on their defensive core is Jordy Ben. Jordy Ben, and he's not even that. I don't want to say he's not that experienced, but he's not an experienced elite defenseman. If they brought in someone to swing it, like essentially swing the young guys around. Yeah, and you know. Blake Wheeler's also 34, so he's starting to get up there in his career. I mean, the good thing for this team is the rest of the team is relatively young. Shifley is only 28. You know, Kyle Connors 24. Ehlers is 25. PLD is 22. But, you know, like we discussed, Hellebuck is 28. Shifley's 34. Um, or Shifley's 28. Wheeler's 34. You're, these are starting to be the years where this team needs to start putting it together. You know, I think another thing that they could do this year is go out and sign a, a different second-line center. No offense to Paul Stasny. I think he played great, but he's also 35. So he was you, one of the better players, too, actually. Yeah, you just need that, like... And obviously, PLD can play center, but you, you need that legitimate second-line center because I think we were starting to see in the rest of the league, too, that that's such an important position. And no offense to... Paul Stasny, but he was really only bought back because of his chemistry with Patrick Line. And I think they need a speedier second line center to keep up with mm-hmm. guys like Nikolai Ehlers. Um So honestly, like I think the Jets have a very clear path ahead to contendership. You know, a cornerstone defenseman and maybe a second line center. The rest of this team is pretty solid, all considered. I, I think I like the the direction that this team is going, so um, a disappointing end to the year for the Winnipeg Jets, but the future is bright in Winnipeg. So we will move on from them, and we'll talk about the other series that ended last night. The Tampa Bay Lightning take out the Carolina Hurricanes in five games, posting a shutout last night to nothing on the road. And, you know, it's it's another year where we're sitting there looking at the Hurricanes saying, why can't they just get over this hump? Why can't they just... You know, two years ago in 2019, they made the Eastern Conference Finals. I, I'm i not going to say they walked to the Eastern Conference Finals, but I do think that there was a very, very real thing that happened with the New York Islanders, which I think is a similar situation that happened with the Jets, where a, a, 
they're not, you know, the Islanders aren't a young team, but a relatively playoff inexperienced team gets a sweep over a huge rival. They're coming off this emotional high, and then they sit for a week and a half. And your opponent is coming off a seven-game series, an emotional seven-game series. They're locked in. Games one and two don't go their way because their opponent's locked in, and then the series just slips away from there. So, you know, I don't want to say that Hurricanes walked to the finals in 2019, but they got slapped by the Bruins, and it really wasn't even close, to be honest. Um, you know, last year in the bubble, they also lost to the Boston Bruins. This year, second round, can't get past the Lightning. They lose in five games. Why is it that this team every year is, are we sitting here saying the same thing? The roster's so good. I don't get it. Why can't they get over the hump? What's missing? What, what in your estimation is holding this team back? Is it just that they keep running into better teams? Are they just the new St. Louis Blues? Yes and no. Because I think this team should have been able to beat the Lightning. Throughout the whole regular season, they were competitive. They weren't getting... They didn't lose. They games. won this division. That's what I'm saying. Like I don't know where this like. They're missing someone. Honestly, they're missing a game breaker. They're missing, like an actual game breaker. And I'm not saying someone who's skilled or good, or just someone who's, like I said, just good. That that doesn't make a game breaker. A game breaker is someone or a playoff man. They need a playoff man. Maybe is the way to phrase this. They need someone like Jeff Carter, who, for the Penguins, stepped it up in the playoffs and was playing off his ass. Who who's doing that on this team this on the during this playoffs? To be honest, Dougie Hamilton looked good, but he wasn't the regular. He wasn't regular season Dougie Hamilton. Where was he? Sebastian Ajo looked had six goals, and so it's like yeah, give it. He has six goals, so give it to him in this playoffs, but. Is that really all that many? I mean, you know, here's the thing, right? And I, and also, I'm sorry, but it's not like it was on Nijelkovic. He played well enough for the team, honestly. The team couldn't put up any points. So let me ask you this, because this is this to me is what ultimately ended the series, in my opinion. Game four. Bing. At we, what point do you pull Morazic if you're Rod Brindamore in Game Four? We we were watch we, Rob and I watched this game, live together, and we were sitting there just saying, "Did are they gonna pull him? When are they pulling him?" I left the room a couple times, and when I came back, I was like, "Did they pull him yet?" And he was like, "No." I came back after the second. We thought I figured, all right, maybe they'll let him go from the second period into the third, and then pull him. They're only down two goals still. They'll have a chance. Nope, didn't care, just left him in, and I... so after what goal do you, or if you're Rod Brindamore, do you end up pulling him? Because I believe when the fourth goal went in, there I was... think that was the tying goal, and it was four four at that point. That's in my opinion. Could you um pull up? What was that? Was that the one where there was only like a minute or something left in the period? If I was Rod Brindamore. You know, if you guys didn't watch this game, um, the Lightning started off early with a lead. The Hurricanes went up two to one, and then the if you don't want to stop me scroll. <laughs> the um, there we go. There's the scroll bar. The Lightning went up one nothing. 
the Hurricanes went up two to one, and then the Lightning tied at two two. Then the Hurricanes went up four to two, and then the Lightning rattled off four unanswered goals. So, the fa- honestly, maybe pull him after the Tyler Johnson goal, which was the f- tying goal. But I didn't even hate the fact that they left him in until the end of the period, because I said leave him until the end of the period, go in the locker room, warm up Najelkovic, get him ready for the third period, don't send him out there just to get maybe sauced on with three minutes left in the period. I understand that. But then they just continued to leave him out there. They just didn't care. And they lost the game because of it, because he was shaking. He didn't... He wasn't tracking the puck well the whole game. The whole game he looked shaky, off... He was making saves, but he made them a lot harder than they needed to be, or he wasn't really making them. The de- like he was scrambling in his crease. It, it was just bad. You know, I thought it was a really odd decision to go to Mrazek anyway in Game Three because the first two games were two to one games, so it's not on Nedeljkovic at that point. You know, unless you want him to also score goals, I thought it was kind of a bizarre switch to go to Morazic. Obviously works out in game three, they get the win. But game four, you know, you could really tell right from puck drop that Morazic was and the phrase I like to use is fighting the puck. You know, as a goalie you don't want to be fighting the puck. As a goalie, you you're almost working with the puck essentially a lot of times. When it's gliding into your block, you should be directing it away. You shouldn't be trying to punch at it in a in a frenzy just trying to get a block on it. You should be guiding it away. And you should be tracking the puck into the pads for the rebound control. I, I could tell uh, almost immediately that Mrazek, specifically on his glove side, was really, really fighting it. He was flailing a lot. His movements weren't smooth. It wasn't ready, set, glove to puck. It was ready, set, throw my arm out at the puck, and it just deflects into the corner. He just didn't look like his eyes were in where they needed to be. And I didn't like his reaction on really two out of the first four goals i'm very surprised they didn't take him out after that i would have pulled him honestly after the fourth goal i know it's very unconventional you really don't ever see it a pulled goalie during a tie game but i just didn't i didn't like the way he was playing and one of mrazic's strengths is his flexibility his athleticism his explosiveness and we saw him resorting to blocking he was trying to play blocking style because he was getting beat clean all the time and when you see a goalie switch up his style mid-game you know he's in a bad spot mentally and I honestly would have pulled him after the fourth goal the Stamkos goal you know really wasn't his fault it's a cross crease to Stamkos who curls it and rips it home on a power play but the Kucherov goal was absolutely horrendous and honestly that kind of is a a nail in the coffin at that point you go up 6-4 early in a period in the third period and then the Lightning just parked the bus very, very, you know, from a coach who's one of the better coaches in the NHL. I didn't think he very was doing matchups decision. very well either during this series. I mean, you know, I would tend to agree. I just think I don't want this just to sound like I'm just saying the Lightning are a better team, but I think that there are holes in this Hurricanes team, but they're very subtle, you know. And ultimately, the question, you know, as we always round out to it is, what do the Hurricanes need to do this offseason? You know, I'll offer my thoughts first this time. I think they just need to make slight upgrades at key positions. You know, 
the goaltending situation, it's obvious to me that Nedeljkovic is the future here. So one of Mrazic or Reimer is going to go. You probably keep the other one as a safety net sort of situation, you know, because they are veterans at that point. But you just need slight, slight upgrades at certain positions because if you take certain guys and make them a little bit better, you get a better team. You know, and to the guys that I'm going to point out, it's nothing against you, but the Hurricanes are a team that need to be firing on all cylinders really to compete. And, you know, say, for example, you take a guy like Nino Niederreiter off the second line and you replace him with a legitimate bona fide 30 goal score every year. You know, somebody in the vein of like a Max Pacioretty. Not a superstar, but a guy who's reliable is going to get you 30 goals. He's kind of a superstar for the Knights, but... I mean, in terms of the league, he really isn't, though. Like, he's the... Honestly, he's one of the best players on the Knights, but I don't think he's like a superstar. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Pacioretty's yeah, no, not like... He's a receiver, honestly, on a lot of things. Like, he kind of just benefits from his teammates' play, but... You know, you take a guy like Niederreiter, a goal scorer, replace him with a slightly better goal scorer. Maybe you take a guy like Toivo Terbine, a playmaker, and you replace him with, like, a, you know, Nick Bagstrom's obviously elite, but a guy like Nick Bagstrom, a little bit of a better playmaker who maybe can chip in on the goal side a little bit more. It's just difficult to say because the Hurricanes really do have great players at a lot of positions. They just need to be slightly better at those positions. I don't even know if they need to be slightly better. I think that they just need to be hungrier in the playoffs. I don't want to say they didn't want it because they played hard. They looked like they were out there wanting it. But no one stepped up is really the best way to put it, it seemed. Like, even Dougie was struggling in games between penalties that were just stupid most of the time or just turnovers that didn't lead to, like necessarily them getting scored on because it didn't but like turnovers that led to bad plays just bad behind the net passes he he didn't when it, it just like a goaltender you need a you need your star players and especially your star defenseman like Dougie to be not just an S but an S plus in the playoffs and an S to an S minus for him is not going to cut it when you need that offensive pressure from him i agree i mean i I do think that there needs to be at least a move made in this offseason if nothing else to maybe just change it up a little bit you know because if you bring the same exact team back next year and then the same exact thing happens you know you you, you never want to be having the same exact conversation a couple years in a row you don't when, want them to be the blues like we when you about. don't make any changes you know it's or if the- if they upgrade to, like, let's say for, you know, just for argument's sake, it's never going to happen, but let's say they turn Nino Niederreiter yeah. into Max Pacioretty and then they lose in the second round next year, at least at that point you're going to say, okay, it's not the offense. we got to look elsewhere. This team could just be the Ducks, though. But the issue is, like, they're young enough that they have a chance to not be the Ducks. I agree. But the Ducks, we saw them try to make changes. They made moves, and it they just ran into the best team every year. But I don't even want to say that, you know, necessarily they ran into these hot teams that they couldn't have beat because I legitimately think that they really should have beat the Bruins last year. And they didn't even, they got slapped around by the Bruins last year. I think they lost in five or six. I know they didn't go seven. I know it wasn't a sweep, but, you know, they got smacked around by the Bruins last year. And honestly, that Bruins team is, that specifically last year, wasn't really the greatest. They were playing without their starting goaltender. Rask wasn't playing at that point. You know, 
the Bruins had some guys go out with injuries before that. You know, they, that team really should have won that series. And honestly, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they should have won this series because it is unfortunate that they had to play the Lightning. But to only go five games with only one game going in overtime, and it was close. You know, obviously, three of these five games were decided by one goal or less. And But I don't even know if they were necessarily that close because... Even in those games, Carolina was struggling for some of like they they just were struggling offensively to put high scoring opportunities up. They were either over cycling or just ripping it on net, and they couldn't find like a the medium to beat Vasilevsky, which isn't easy to do. Obviously, Vasilevsky's a Vesna candidate without a doubt. Probably the best goalie in the league, honestly. Yeah, so at, throughout a seven-game series, I'm taking him over probably anyone in the league. So it, Without question. So, like, it, it's nothing against the Carolina. for, But, like, Carolina's power play was just... I mean, that's the other thing is Carolina had no answers for Tampa Lightning's power play. I mean, I get it that Lightning's power play is lethal, star-studded. But... We saw, like, in the Montreal series, Montreal started to figure out Toronto's power play after a while and kind of shut them down. You know, you have to make adjustments in order to shut down certain plays. and That's why I was wondering if it's maybe a coach. And, like, I don't want to blame the coach because the regular season, clearly he's doing all the right things. But maybe he just... Yeah. Maybe... I don't want to... And so I don't want to blame him, but maybe he just made a few wrong calls that led to... I mean, it's fair to really... It's fair to question a coach because... Let's be honest here. The regular season doesn't mean shit. I mean... That's what I'm saying. So, Like, it, how many coaches do we sit here and go, oh, he's one of the best coaches of all time, but he could never get past the second round in the playoffs? You know, that, you have to at least... To get more like, out of his players. And, you know, I think ultimately what Carolina needs to do is, you know, just make a shakeup, just get a new piece, get a shiny new upgrade. If nothing else, to kind of kickstart the team and just be like, hey, guys, like, we're investing in you. You know, this is the time to really start to step up. Shake things up a little bit. You know, don't cut the tree down, but shake the limbs a little bit. And um, Do you think maybe he... Do you think maybe the problem was that he saw the playoffs and tried to change the system? I don't, I, I don't think so because... I'm just it, it, there really wasn't a whole lot of difference between games. I'm saying game like, like 56 and the way they were playing in game five. Even offensively, like you don't think maybe he said to. I think the issue is that he didn't change. To be honest with you, I agree. I was just curious about the other side of the coin. I think the issue is that you know, first of all, I think part of the issue is you just for some reason throw Morazic in there after Nedeljkovic only puts up. Two, uh, four goals in two games, and then, yeah, you get a game, you get a winning game three out of it, barely, and then you lose a pivotal game four because Morazic can't stop a beach ball, um, and they just didn't adjust. I mean, we've seen it time and time again where coaches stick to their guns, and honestly, part of a good coach in the playoffs is flexibility, and well, that's matchups. That's what I was saying. I didn't like Carolina's matchups throughout the series. They kept getting matched up against that third and their top line kept getting matched up against that third and fourth line and pat maroon was just running through everyone he was running through aho and svechnikov every time he got the chance and i don't want to take anything away from what the lightning did because obviously the lightning are a fantastic team specifically 
um, a team that it, it, a good team finds ways to win. And we saw that in game four when your star goaltender is having a pretty rough game because honestly Vasilevsky looked really, really rough in that second period specifically. Good teams find a way to win. The Lightning found a way to win, and they are now awaiting the winner of the Bruins Islanders series. So um, we'll move on here to that Bruins Islanders series. We'll save the Avs series for last. Um, Bruins Islanders game six is, like I said, tonight at 7.30. So if anything we say here is irrelevant, just ignore it. But, um, you know, this has been a really interesting series. Um so far it's it's a very odd series because it seems like the teams are just taking turns at oh hey this is going to be the game we play a lot of offense in okay but now we're going to go back to our roots and we're going to play a two to one defensive game okay no but this game now we're going to score more goals again it kind of seems like they're almost flip-flopping on the way they want to play and somehow despite the fact that the islanders really don't have an offensive juggernaut they're managing to win some of these offensive games. Barzell's come with exactly what I talked about in the last series. With who needed to come up, step up? Barzell's stepping up. He's. I think he's got a goal in past four, five games, four games, three or four games straight. Um, I know he scored in game three. He scored our only goal in game three, and he's scored every game since then. So I think he's has a either a four or three or four game goal scoring streak going and i mean that's huge for the islanders obviously um that's all they needed honestly because getting on the board for them for one goal is their biggest problem honestly that first goal for them is the biggest hump and yet despite it despite that fact i think we've only scored the first goal once this whole series (laughs) it's it's kind of odd in a lot of ways because our record after we give up the first goal isn't great all things considered i think our regular season record was like below 500 when we give up the first goal and yet you know despite the fact that varlamov has allowed a goal in the first three shots in his last five starts you know just like i was saying with the lightning good teams find a way to win i mean you can call it whatever you want and i've seen a lot of crap and a lot of nonsense coming out from the boston bruins organization from bruce cassidy and the bruins fans Call it whatever you want. If you want to sit there in ignorance and call it luck, you can call it that, but you're wrong. If you want to sit there in ignorance and call it the refs, you can call it that, but you're wrong. The Islanders were the 30th penalty. In terms of penalties, we were the 30th team in the league. There was only one team that took less penalties than us this year. So why is Bruce Cassidy surprised that we're not taking penalties? The Islanders are one of the most disciplined teams in the National Hockey League. (laughs) I don't... My biggest question about, like, why he's saying that is what you were talking about earlier was switching up his game plan. It it almost feels like he's a boxer right now, and he's try and he doesn't know if he wants to go southpaw or just regular fighting stance. So he's switching between the two, and whatever's working at that moment he's going with, and then he just keeps flopping between them. And I don't think them playing the Islanders game, which is what they've been trying to do, is smart. They're playing physical, and they're getting penalties. Yes, you are getting penalties because of it. When you try to match a team who plays a a disciplined physical game versus your team trying to play some half-physical, 
overdrive physical now. Team, they were the Bruins are a half physical team. I would say they have a decent size. They're hitting constantly up against in the boards, but they're not. They're not. That's not how they win games. They don't win games off their forecheck and their hitting. They win games off their goal scorers making plays and these excellent um, goal and these excellent just players using opportunities like Pasta and Marshan. And they're excellent just depth, not depth, but back check and forecheck is really what it is. Their their movement with the puck is very good. But, so going up against the Islanders who are just going to try and wither you down physically, but in a disciplined manner. And even if it's not always disciplined, they're within the realm, they're playing within the realms of what the refs are setting. The refs set, the refs set the tone of the game for what a rough is, for what a slashes for everything and if you can't read that as a team then you're not going to do well which is what the Bruins are doing they're not reading it well they're just running guys just trying to take every hit every little whack and they're being faulted because of it given I think the refs have been garbage this series I think they've been garbage all around though I I'm seeing blown calls on both sides. It's not like one over the other. Like, it's... Are there obvious blown calls that... Like, um, the one on Pajot? Yes, but did they also let one go against him? Yes. So, it, it, it's like... or did I mean, did they get him after they let one go? Yes. So, I don't see what these people are complaining about. I think it's a pretty... F- Fair called series for what it's for how bad the refs are in general this playoffs, but these refs are not anywhere near as bad as that Montreal Toronto series, and no one complained in that one. It's just weird that Bruce Cassidy, who honestly, he's a great coach. I don't know why he's resorting to this to these tactics. I mean, Bruins fans are going to point out about what Barry Trotz said about Patrice Bergeron. All, Pat- all that Barry Trotz said is that Patrice Bergeron cheats on faceoffs. The whole league knows that. He's one of the best cheaters on faceoffs in the league. That's why he's so good at it. Everyone Everybody says, cheats on faceoffs. Everyone, everyone says Sid is the biggest. Sid is a huge cheat. But like, Barry Trotz didn't come out and say, "Oh, Bergeron's garbage and he only wins his faceoffs because he cheats." He just said, "Yeah." You know, they asked him like, "Why are you losing all these faceoffs to Bergeron?" He's like, "Because he's a good cheater." And it's it's the be- it's the worst kept secret in the NHL that everyone cheats on faceoffs. And not even that. What are you supposed to say? Oh, my guy's just bad at faceoffs. No, <laughs> like you obviously say the other guy's just he's on the money with his with his jumps because that's really what it is. So you know I don't know why Bruce Cassidy got a bee in his bonnet. It's a very odd thing for him to say that the penalties were lopsided because before Game Five. The, the Bruins had only had two extra penalties called on them that the Islanders didn't. Like, the Bruins had two more penalties called on them than the Islanders, which or might have been... It was four, actually. So you're averaging one extra penalty a game, which, hey, guess what? The Bruins, I think, were, like, the 10th most penalized team in the NHL in the regular season. And again, not to beat the dead horse, the Islanders were the 30th most penalized team in the NHL. Why are you surprised that your team that averages 10 penalty minutes a game is getting the extra two minutes every game. 
because you guys take penalties. Like, <laughs> and did anyone watch Marshawn in the last series? He, his, what do you have? Seven penalties, nine penalties, something like that. Last series from Marshawn alone. Which, by the way, I noticed that Bruce Cassidy was very, very quiet on the fact that four of his players have been fined in this series. David Krejci got fined for the slash, the spear on Matt Barzell. Somebody else got fined for a, a high stick. I forget who. And then Nick Ritchie got fined for elbowing Scott Mayfield in the head. There was one other fine. I think it was three. It was four. Yeah. Those are the only three I can call off the top of my head. But did he watch the film of Brett Ritchie elbowing Scott Mayfield in the head? I mean, I'm sure he did, and he probably just turned a blind eye to it. So, it, you know, this is a whole aside to the whole series. But it's just such a stupid comment from a coach who really is better than that. He really honestly is. But... Back to my original point, you you can call it luck if you want. You can call it the refs if you want. You're wrong on both of those. Good teams find a way to win hockey games. This series isn't over. The Bruins are a good team. It would not surprise me at all if they come back and win this in seven. But what they have to focus on is how they're playing. Because right now, it sounds like to me, the entire Bruins franchise is so concerned with the refs and so concerned with how the Islanders are playing that they're not following their own game. The Bruins' game should be to offensively dominate the Islanders. And quite honestly, the top two lines of the Bruins have been. The Islanders have no answer for the Taylor Hall line. They've had no answer for the Patrice Bergeron line. The Bruins' problem is, what we've said all year, they have zero depth. They're getting nothing out of their bottom six on their forwards. They're getting nothing out of any of their defensemen who's not named Charlie McAvoy and Matt Grizzlick. They've gotten nothing from their depth. So maybe Bruce Cassidy needs to focus on getting some production out of his bottom six instead of worrying about if the refs are going to call an extra penalty on him or not. Because that, to me, you know, it's a bad look. And honestly, if you're a player, it's probably going to affect you mentally when you know that your coach is hyper-concerned with the penalties. Maybe you don't play as hard because you don't want to take that extra penalty. Or honestly, you're not focused on the game at all. You're just waiting for the next penalty call so you can complain about it. You know, it just takes away your mental game from the game at hand, and that's honestly such a huge detriment to your team. When when I worked at the rank, the, one of the worst things I thought I always saw was coaches who actively badmouth the refs on the bench. It's just while it's a t- you build toxicity up, you're building up a toxic like just flow of energy on the bench at that point, where. Every time the ref messes up a call, the players are all going to throw their arms. They're going to get in a pissy fit. They're going to be just agitated the whole time. They're going to be, every time their buddy gets run, they're going to be throwing their hands up. Where's our call? Or if their buddy runs someone, they're going to sit there and wait for the call to be had, and their mind's just going to be distracted. It's just not the way to be. And I understand if you legitimately felt the need to come out that the refs were not saying something, that they were not doing their job. If either the Montreal Canadiens or the Toronto Maple Leafs in their last series said that, I would not have cared. If the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Panthers this year said it in their series, I wouldn't have cared. If even the Islanders in their last series said it, I wouldn't have cared. Um, Or the other team they played. The but, Penguins. Yeah, or if the Penguins said it, I wouldn't have been that caring because the refs were very bad in those series. This series, they really haven't been that awful like if i understand he's coaching he's not watching the rest of the league but aren't you as a coach 
supposed to be watching footage of the other teams? Are you not watching the penalties from other games? Like, are are you paying attention to box scores at all? Like, it's just a very very weird move from a a veteran coach of a veteran hockey team to all of a sudden pick now to start complaining about the refs when, like I said, it distracts your team from the game. I mean, and bottom line, let's be honest here. It's not like the refs are handing a top 10 power play a power play. The Islanders power play for all intents and purposes is pretty bad. So maybe you don't complain about the refs. Maybe you tell your penalty killers, hey, maybe we shouldn't go one for four on the PK today and lose the game. Because the Islanders in game five went three for four. The refs can call all the penalties they want. If you're killing the penalties, it doesn't matter. And maybe that's what they should be focusing on. I, I said, it's not like it's not like these games were decided on a game. Like if they lost game two and three, well, they won game three. If they lost, I'm saying if they lose game two and three in overtime to a bad call, and then in game four and five he doesn't like what the refs are doing, that he thinks they're doing a bad job. I can maybe see his point if they were if they had been blowing like major calls all series, or if, even if they blew just one major call that blew one game. Like uh, I believe that the goal, that the penalty on Uyghur in that Tampa Bay Florida game early in the series, when that that well, I mean they scored on a penalty, but it blew the game. I thought it was a shit call, and it blew that game. So if the Florida Panthers wanted to come out and say the refs have sucked all series since that call, I love. That NHL players, and I said this earlier when we were talking about the Tom Wilson thing. I wish that players and or and coaches and individuals throughout the league had bigger voices and more backlash at the organization that they play for if they don't like things. I wish that the players' union would be better at their job and would give their players a voice. And because while you should be fine for something like this, and in any league you'd be fine, I. I like the I like this backlash. Not in this scenario. I think he's wrong, but I like the idea of what he did. It's just like I said. It's just not the time. I mean, if and the other issue is like I said. You know, case in point, game three, the Islanders have a power play late. I think they have a power play with like three minutes to go in the game. Right, tied one one. The Bruins kill it off, and then they win in overtime. I noticed that he didn't have anything negative to say after that game. It was only after the Bruins lost. And if this is supposed to be some weird motivational tactic... I, He's I'm, being a sore loser, honestly. It's a very bizarre move from a coach that honestly is better than that. And so, you know, Game 6 is tonight. We'll see what happens. Could be going to Game 7, or the Islanders could be going on to face the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, obviously, when this series wraps up, during our next week's podcast, we will wrap up this series. But uh, my prediction, I think that the... Islanders win in Game 7. I think the Bruins force a Game 7 tonight, and then I think the Islanders are able to pull out the series. Despite what my bracket says, I do have the Bruins going to the semifinals in my bracket, but I think just based on the way this series is going and based on the fact that Bruce Cassidy does not seem to be focused on the task at hand, I don't like that from the Bruins, and I I think that that's just a bad sign. So, um, Who knows? The Bruins could still very well win the series. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Like I said, I did pick them to win the series in my bracket. So if the Bruins come back and win the series, good for them. But uh, Bruce Cassidy really needs to reevaluate where his head's at, especially going into a semifinal matchup with the Lightning. You can't be half-assing that matchup. So 
Um, we'll go on to the final series, second round series, the Vegas Golden Knights with a comeback win last night. They've won three in a row. They're now up 3-2 to two on the Avalanche going home to Vegas. And I don't know about you, but I think that this series is really exposing something that I've been saying all year. And have you noticed that every time the Knights get into the zone that the avalanche defenders are quite literally just bouncing off of them like they can't like the avs defenders are having bouncing or just getting skate past it's constant it's, two-on-ones it's kind of crazy because like last night's game specifically the avalanche did a really really good job at shutting down the rush but the problem is when the puck got into the zone they were just getting like destroyed you know and even the guys that aren't super big but guys like Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, some of the heftier players on the Knights, the Avs defenders can't check them off the puck. And that's something that I've said since the beginning of the year. I said, I don't like the size of this roster. I think we even looked at the size of this roster, and really most of the defensemen outside of Ryan Graves and Eric Johnson really aren't that big of dudes. And Ryan Graves doesn't even play that big of a game. So it's just, I think that really, to me, that's the biggest difference in games one and two and games three, four, and five. Games one and two... The Avalanche were able to use their legs, outskate the forecheck of the Knights, and get the puck into the zone. Games 3, 4, and 5, I think the Knights sat back and said, well, wait a minute, we're just so much bigger than them. I'm just going to dump the puck in the corner, and they're not going to check Mark Stone off the puck because, guess what, Kale McCarr is only like 5'10", 180. He's, like, he's not checking anybody off the puck. He's have He's struggling severely in his defensive zone. While he's getting it out, and it's he, every time he gets it out, though, he has to fight to get it out. Not everything should be a fight to get out. Like the guy should bounce off you when if you're in the corner, he he bounces off you. You generally speaking, this is how it goes. He bounces off you. You turn it out. You dump it out, and then they, the play cycles down when it's a one on three in your in your defensive zone. So, but he's not able to do that for some reason right now because he's not big enough. They're not bouncing off him. They're bodying him i just think that the abs are really really feeling the ill effects of having an undersized defensive core i mean their forwards like we looked at their forwards today their forwards are pretty big Mm -hmm. like even guys like landy and moose are pretty big guys and we're seeing that the knight's bigger heavier defense is able to keep them off the score sheet because they're just as big Meanwhile, the Avs defensemen can't contain guys like Max Pacioretty or Mark Stone because they're just flying off them every time they touch the puck. From what I, this is where this is what we go back to with adjustments. Pete DeBoer over there, veteran coach, been here before, been in the playoffs, knows what to do. He said, "Okay, we're getting just because the reason that they lost Game One and Two was really all because of." avalanche rushes it was nathan mckinnon just at, or and ranting just out like blowing into the zone and out skating people and just out skating the defenseman so he said okay simple plan drop the defenseman back bring the center back play a three-man def- defensive lead play dump in the corner they can't take us off the puck when it's in the corner let everyone f- charge in on a late rush have a late defensive back just in case they dump it out and just play a defensive game and use offensive opportunities to score. And then when it's in the zone, just keep it there. Because as you said, they can't get it out. They have no size. They don't have an answer. It's funny because the 
the night or the avalanche defensemen i think relatively speaking through the series have been pretty good at limiting the chances on the rush and when there is an odd man rush they're quick enough to get back but as with any series you're not going to completely shut down the rush of any team so like we did see last night a couple of goals off the rush for the Knights because at some point you're just going to give up a shot and part of that also might be because by the time this game gets to the third period gets to overtime the avalanche defensemen are exhausted because they've been banged around for 60 minutes by guys that are bigger than them not and even that when you when a guy when mark stone and carlson come down and they get five six seven rushes a game they're going to see grubauer's holes eventually they're going to eventually see a hole in one of those rushes or they're going to see what he's doing and make the different move they're going to adjust properly they're not just going to let grubauer keep making the same saves over and over again I don't even think the rush is really the thing that the Avs need to worry about. Specifically, well, the rush leads to just the pressure, like the puck in the zone. Yeah, well, I'm saying like they've actually done a pretty relatively good job, I think, this series of limiting that. But it's just the issue is like when we get to the later stages, you start to see it fall apart. Like I think really through the first two periods, the Avs didn't give up any odd man rushes last night. And then you saw in the third period, the defensemen were slower. They were getting their legs were starting to drag a little bit. The game opens up a little bit, and the Knights find a couple rushes and get in the zone. You know, if we're talking adjustments, I think the adjustment that needs to be made from the Avalanche side of things is the passes have to be faster because you cannot let the Knights forechecker get on you because you're not going to win that puck battle most of the time. Guys like Kale McCarr, uh, not Ryan Graves, um, the other one, the younger guy that plays with Kale McCarr, um, I should know this because Steve tried to trade me him. Sammy Gerrard, Cam uh, McCarr, Sam Gerrard, Devontae's. These guys aren't very big, honestly. Devontae's has also looked very spotty in the offensive zone these past few games. You know, and it's just an issue of they don't have the size on the back end. And so, what? But what do you have? These guys can flat out fucking skate. So you have to get a quick up. You you can't sit back there and try to set up a play. I, I think every time that puck gets something in the zone for the Avalanche, they should be looking to break out immediately. Don't take it behind your net. Don't wait up for a setup play. Don't wait for the set breakout. Get that puck out of your zone as soon as you can because you are significantly faster. I mean, even guys that we don't really think are particularly super fast, like Alex Newhook, are flying past Alex Petrangelo when they're entering the zone. You have to use that to your advantage. You can't. Wait, I don't care how pretty your passing play is going to be at the blue line if you set it up. Get that puck out of your zone because you can't get it out once the Knights are on you. And they might not score a lot of goals from that offensive pressure, but what that does is later in the games, you take a couple checks, you're not skating as fast, now you're playing the Knights game, and you can't. You just flat out can't. And, you know... Nothing against Grubauer. I think he's been good enough. I mean, Flurry had an absolutely horrendous first goal. I don't know what the hell that was last that night. That across the arm, like, glove. You, Which, that's rule one as a goaltender. You don't. never reach across yourself. Yeah. But, you know, Flurry, for all intents and purposes, bounced back pretty well. He had a really good rest of the game. But the abs just are feeling the pressure of the Knights' forecheck. And they're not handling it very well. And I think that they need to make a serious adjustment. I still believe that the Avalanche will win this series. And the reason that I believe that is I think if the Avs can use their speed, there's the Knights just can't keep up. 
I think if they make that adjustment and Jared Bednar says, hey, boys, no more set plays. That puck comes in our zone, we're getting it out. Throw it up the middle. Chip it in. Just whatever you do, get it out of our zone. I think if they make that adjustment and you start to force the Knights to come 200 feet every time, you're going to beat them in that foot race back to their own blue line. I think Not if they make that, that one small they're adjustment... They're going to get tired too, playing that four-checking game constantly. Well, that's the other thing, is if this goes seven, honestly, the youth of the Avalanche is going to give them an advantage because they're younger than the Knights at, at almost every position. And the Knights also had a seven-game series in their last one, too. So, you know, if you, if I was a betting man, if you asked me, hey, who's going to win this series? I still believe that the Avs are going to win this series. But they're definitely not adjusting very well, and I think that Jared Bednar needs to make that audible call now because guess what you don't have any more runway you're out the plane's about to take off and if you're not on it you're going home so or you're i guess you're staying home but <laughs> i don't know it's been an interesting series um winner of this like i said will play winner uh will play montreal the winner of the Islanders boston series will play the tampa lightning and we will have our semifinal matchups at that point so um is there any final things you wanted to talk about about the second round so far or anything i guess just in general um i'd like to touch on mark shifley a bit and i just i just literally just now um got sent uh, his um post or his uh i guess post game interview of the last series of or just press conference interview talking about the suspension and he said that he essentially said that it was his fault that he that he put himself in that position that he should have back checked faster and he let his team down in the scenario overall and while i agree with that i would have loved to have seen some back he said that it he said it's whatever it just is what it is from the league would have loved to have seen a little more backlash from him honestly I would have some while I understand the the call and it wouldn't have made a difference they got swept but it's a real kick in the ass knowing that your top offensive player is not coming back for the series from a team perspective for the whole series and he might not be back for the next series either depending on when it ends it's just you, you go back, and you can watch Connor McDavid elbow that whoever it was in the head. This Kakaniemi. Kakaniemi, yeah. You can watch him literally elbow him in the head, and no one in the NHL said anything about that when it happened. Really, kind of just got swept under the rug. Would really love to see some backlash about Paros from other people in the NHL right now, especially someone who is in a position to say something. But I'm going to disagree with you on that point only just because it really wasn't a borderline play, I don't think. Like, I mean, we, we me, you, and Sivo sat there, and I said he should only get, like, two games, maybe a game. But the fact of the matter is, if it was a more borderline play, I would agree. But he knows it was a bad hit. And I actually kind of like him owning up to it in a sense that how much we've talked about Alex Ovechkin this year and his lack of ownership for the things that he's done 
I no. do think it sets a good example for the younger players for Shifley to say, look, you know, I, you that's see, on me. I, but I, to your point, I don't know if you saw, he did say, he did kind of give a little shot at the league because he said, I thought it was going to be Philip Deneau trying to shut me down this series, but instead the NHL shut me down. So he did give a little bit of a poke at the NHL and, and kind of indicate that he wasn't thrilled with the length of the suspension. Um, while I while I'm all for like just dunking on George Barrows whenever you can because like he's done an absolutely awful job this year, I I do respect Shifley for owning it and saying like look like it was I, stupid. I agree. He he needs to apologize to the team 100 percent, or he did rather. I think that he's definitely should that because it it was stupid. I I think it was a, a a suspendable offense. To be honest, I don't think it was seven games worth or whatever he got. I think a five because I think it is one more next year. Four or five. He got four or five for it. I think. Yeah. So. I I, I don't. I just. It, I agree. I I like that he owned up to it. I like that he is setting a good example for his teammates. But I also. Just as I said this whole season, and as I just said a minute ago, would love to see a little more voice from some of these players. It's going to be interesting, especially next year when we have the entire league playing again, and that includes guys like, at that point, Nazem Kadri and Tom Wilson. Um, we'll see if the league starts to crack down on them a little bit harder, and especially with how much scrutiny there has been this year over the Department of Player Safety, we'll see if they do start to take notice of the quote-unquote superstars getting away with things they really shouldn't. Um, so that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Next week, by this weekend, all these series are going to be wrapped up. So by the time we're doing the episode next week, the third round series will definitely have started. Um, but just keep an ear out. You know, we're going to do, as there's less and less series to wrap up, we're going to, you know, be able to talk about them a little bit more at length. So um, next week, we're going to wrap up the Islanders Bruins series and the Avalanche Knight series. And then we'll start talking about the ongoing third round series at that point between the Canadiens and whoever wins Vegas, Colorado, and the Lightning and whoever wins Boston, New York. So. I want to thank you guys for watching, and we will see you guys again next time.